Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. digress for a moment from my prepared message. I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord. If you ever wanted to know what a pastor feels like sometimes, that's a little bit like it. (laughs) That's a little bit. All right. Uh, So we're going to be talking about Unmasked today. This is week two. And uh, so here's a question I have for you. What if there was a room, like, like say a church building like this one, that if you, every time you came into that room, whatever you tried to hide in your life was just automatically out in the open? And whatever you tried to keep, you know, hidden or try to, that was fake about you was just automatically revealed? How often would you want to visit that place? (laughs) Probably not very often, would we? Now, why is that? Let me give you a couple reasons why I think we wouldn't want to visit that room very often. Number one is because we we know by looking at Scripture that that God loves to see fruit in our life. What do I mean by fruit? It means kind of the results that kind of get shown whenever we follow Jesus, that maybe fruits of the Spirit or just things that happen in our life. God loves to see that. So much so there's a story in the Bible where Jesus, listen to this story, where Jesus goes up, he's hungry, he goes up to a fig tree, and and from a distance it looks like a fig tree and everything's good, but as he gets closer, there's no figs and there's no fruit on the tree. And so what Jesus does to the fig tree is he curses the fig tree so that it dies. That's pretty scary, isn't it? That's a little, it's, it's in the Bible. He lo- he didn't, there was no fruit, okay? And, and so God loves fruit. How many of you guys know that obedience to Christ is not an option? It's a requirement. It's a command. Like whenever God commands us to do things, there's requirements. And so I think that sometimes we wouldn't want to go in that room because we know that God loves fruit and God loves these types of things. God loves obedience. But at the same time, maybe there's not so much fruit in our life. And so we wouldn't want to go into that room because we know God loves it, but maybe we don't have it. And that leads us to the second part of why we wouldn't want to go into that room. And the second part is because fruit is easy to fake. And so when we know that God loves fruit and fruit is easy to fake, more often than not, if we showed up in that room, we would have some fake fruit that would all of a sudden become exposed. So I've got some fruit over here 
Okay, and, and you know, I've got apple, uh, lemon, orange, apple, same thing over here. Two different sets of, of groups of these things. Now, I've got a, a question for you. Uh, which, which group do you think one of these groups is fake and one of them is real? How many of you guys think that the fake group is on this side? Raise your hand if you think the fake group is over here. How many of you guys think that the fake group is on this side over here? Let me see your hands. Okay, once again, let's do it again. The fake group on this side, let's see all your hands. How many of you guys think the fake group is on this side over here? All right, uh, uh, here's the big reveal, big reveal. This is the fake group right over here. So those of you guys who got that, and, and what's the deal? It's hard to tell, isn't it? Because of how, you're, how far you're sitting back. See, the, the reason why you, you can't tell and it's hard to tell, some of you guys got it right, but you were probably just lucky, all right? The reason why is because fake fruit looks great and looks real at a distance. And so you're far enough back that it's hard to tell whether it's fake or real. It looks good. It looks real. And the same is true in our life, that we, if we keep people at a distance, the fruit of our life looks good and it looks real. But the closer people get to our life, then the, the, then the more they start to see that maybe our fruit isn't so good. Or here's another thing. If, if you look at it, if you get closer to the fake fruit, what gives it away? One of the things that gives fake fruit away is that the closer you get to it, it almost looks too perfect. It almost looks too ordered. And how many of you guys know that if you get a piece of fruit, there's there's probably going to be a little dent in it every once in a while. There's, if you have real fruit, it's going to have some blemishes here and there. The same is true of our life. And so what most of us do is, is we know that God loves fruit, and fruit is easy to fake. And so we, make, we try to order our life so perfectly so that it looks at a distance like things are going well. And, but fruit, fruit is easy to fake. Now, so with that in mind, let me ask you a question. What does a real discipleship, a disciple of Jesus look like? What does a real disciple look like? If we go to Matthew chapter 10, and we see where Jesus calls all these disciples and kind of paints a picture in verse 1, he says, And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then it kind of lists all these different disciples. It says, you know, there was uh, Simon, who's called Peter. There's Andrew. There's James. There's John. There's Philip. There's Bartholomew. There's Thomas and Matthew and James and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Which one of those disciples, if you were to pick one of them, would your life most look like? You know, like Peter. You know, Peter was one of those disciples that he was always saying something that he shouldn't say. He was always just blurting something out. He was kind of up and down with God. Maybe you're kind of more like Peter, if you had to choose one of them. Maybe you're like more, like a couple of them were called the Sons of Thunder. That was their nickname. Why did they get that nickname? Because whenever you know, they saw a group of people who weren't like they thought they should be, they were willing to call down fire from heaven and to consume them up. Maybe you're more like that disciple. Uh, here's the thing. I think a lot of us would probably say, I'm probably more like Peter. You know, I'm probably up and down. I'm probably, you know, there's times when I say things I shouldn't be saying and whatever. We kind of here and there. But even Peter walked on water. And so maybe we're not so much like Peter as we think we are. I'm going to make a case today that many of us at least have some of the trademarks of Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. You say, well, how can that be me? I'm not Judas. I didn't betray Jesus. Well, think about Judas. Judas got called by Jesus just like all the rest of them. 
Jesus walked up just like he told Peter. He said, follow me. He came up to Judas and he said, follow me. And what did Judas do? He left all and he followed Jesus. And he started to follow Jesus. Well, we fast forward to the end of the story and we know that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then at the very end, if you look at Judas' tombstone moment in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. It says, now this man, this is talking about Judas, he acquired a field and with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. That's a great refrigerator verse right there. You know, if you want to just cut one out, put it on your refrigerator. That's not the good end of the story, is it? When we read about Judas, we think, how can that be Judas? Because Judas, you know, that's not my life. I'm a Christian. Well, wasn't Judas a Christian? Wasn't he a follower of Jesus? He sure looked like one, didn't he? If you rewind the tape, Judas looked like a follower of Jesus. He got called just like all the rest of them. Judas was there performing, listen to this, Judas was performing miracles right alongside the other disciples. He sure looked like a follower of Jesus, didn't he? Judas was there with the other disciples when Jesus said, hey, let's break these loaves and fishes and let's take a a lunchbox, a little lunchable, and let's feed 5,000 men with it. And Judas, picture Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, the one who fell headlong and his bowels burst open. He was right there, part of the miracle, handing this miracle out to people with the 5,000 and the 4,000. Judas was right there. Judas was right there side by side. In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus calls Judas an apostle. He sure looked like a follower of Jesus, didn't he? He sure looked like he was following Jesus. Everyone, everyone who would have looked at Judas would have thought that Judas was a follower of Jesus. How many of you guys could agree with that? In the moment, they would have said, yeah, absolutely. Judas is way better than I am. But somewhere along the way, Judas had some fake fruit. Because the outside looked great. But what happened? Look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Here's a really scary verse, okay? Really scary set of verses. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? How many of you guys know that if you see somebody prophesying in the name of Jesus, you'd say they sure look like they're following Jesus, don't they? Surely they, I mean, if they're prophesying in the name of Jesus, they look like they're following Jesus. He says, some will, will do that. Some will cast demons in, out in your name. How many of you guys know that if you see somebody casting out demons in the name of Jesus and it's working, <laughs> don't you think, man, that, pro, that person's following Jesus. I mean, I've never cast out a demon, so that person's really following Jesus. And, and so he says, there'll be a time when people who've done those things and even do mighty works in your name, and he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's a scary scripture, isn't it? You see, we we know that God loves fruit, and we know that fruit is easy to fake. And and I believe that in many many ways, Judas is one of the most common examples of a disciple of Jesus today. It sure looks like we're following Jesus. 
We're doing all the things that look like we're following Jesus. Maybe you attend church regularly. You look like you're following Jesus. Maybe you're, you're, you're serving in some area. You're, you're helping you know, orphans or you're, you're you know, serving as a greeter or you're, you're an usher somewhere or you're looking at ways in the community for do. And it looks like you're following Jesus. Maybe you have these, you know, you're a prayer person and you have an all-night prayer and it looks like you're following Jesus. And again, those things are great. We ought to be doing those things. And it doesn't mean just because you're doing those things that you're not. But at the same time, I've met a lot of people who look like they're following Jesus. But if you back up the train and you look at what's really going on in their life, sometimes it'd be more like, I never knew you. You did a lot of things, but I didn't really know you. And so I think a lot of times we're, we have the appearance of being real disciples, but on the inside, we're really not. We're, we're more like Judas, a fake follower, instead of having fruit in our life. Now, there, hear, hear what I'm going to say. There's a difference between following Jesus and following the followers of Jesus. Many times we're content looking at the followers of Jesus and mimic, mimicking what they're doing instead of following Jesus. And whenever we see followers of Jesus and we try to replicate that, we may wake up one day and realize, I'm just following the followers of Jesus instead of following Jesus. And we've developed a life around this fake fruit in our life, and we, we wake up one day and it doesn't seem real. I believe we wouldn't visit that room that everything gets revealed and everything's open because we know that God loves fruit, and we also know that fruit is easy to fake, and we probably have some fake fruit in our life, and we wouldn't want to face that every single week. So here's the deal. I, I talked about last week. I said, so we all wear a mask, don't we? I believe every single person here in some way, shape, or form has worn a mask of some sort to keep people at a distance so that the fruit of our life looks good from a distance. And, and so we put on this mask, you know, like I talked about last week. Somebody asks you how you're doing, you, you put on this face. You're like, I'm doing just fine. Everything is just fine. Everything's going great in my life, and you could be dying on the inside, but how many of you guys have ever done this before? I've got both my hands up, okay? My, maybe you got in a fight with your wife on the way to church, but you show up to church, and you're just like, I'm doing just fine, just fine. <clears throat> we tell, tell our kids, right? We're like, you know, the kids could be just out of control. It's like, you better be on your best behavior when you show up to church. What are we teaching them? We're teaching them that you got to act one way in this environment, but... It's okay to act anyway all the time. See, and we put on, we're great at wearing a mask. And, and as we talked about last week, we talked about Jacob, and we talked about how Jacob went in and he conned his father, his own father. He wanted to get a blessing from his father in the natural, and he fooled his father to get his blessing, but he wasn't fooling God. And that's how many of us are. Man, we're willing to put on a mask and a costume to get the blessing of men but we're not fooling God. And it was only when Jacob got alone with God and he revealed to God, God asked him, that angel of the Lord asked him and said, who are you? And instead of saying Esau or instead of saying I'm this or I'm that, he said, no, I'm Jacob. And he tapped out and he said, I'm Jacob. And as soon as he owned up to who he really was and he took off the mask, then God blessed him and changed him into who he was supposed to be, changed his identity. The same is true for us. God doesn't work on who we pretend to be. God works on who we really are. God doesn't start with the mask. He backs it up, and he starts with who we really are. And until we're really willing to own who we really are, then we won't be able to go any further than that. 
And here's the ironic thing. How many of you guys ever have this feeling on the inside? You're like, why won't everybody just be real? I mean, have you ever been at work or something? You're like, man, we're playing all these political games. Why can't we just be real? You're in church, you're saying, why, why can't people just take the mask off and just be real with one another? Why can't, how many of you guys have ever wanted that? Just like, why can't we just be real? See, here's the thing about that. Being real, if everybody's going to be real, it means that everybody has to be real. And we already admitted we don't want to go into that room very often. Because down deep, we really don't want everybody to be real. We want everybody else to be real, and we want to reserve some fakeness for ourselves for protection, don't we? Man, I'm preaching pretty strong today, but uh, if you withstood the first blow here of my introduction, it gets better from here, okay? Trust me. So it gets better from here. So here's the thing. So how do we have real fruit? How many of you guys want to have some real fruit instead of just fake fruit in our life? How can we have real fruit then? Because we don't have to live that fake fruit life. How can we have real fruit? We got to understand some things. Number one, we've got to understand that real fruit is determined by the root. Fruit is determined by the root. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20, it says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So basically saying, if you plant a, a grape, you know, you want to have grape bushes, it's not like a giraffe's going to pop out. <laughs> it's like that's what's, it's, you're going to get grapes, right? If you plant an apple tree seed, you're going to get an apple tree. You're not going to get like an aardvark or something. It's just, it's just pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. And so he says, that's what's going to happen. He says, so every healthy tree, if you have a healthy tree, it's going to bear good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, if the root is not right, eventually the fruit won't be right. If we don't get the, the starting point or the, the healthy part internally of the root being right, then the fruit won't be right. Now, here, let me share with you something that I, I saw this week as I was studying. This, if we rewind all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we see God is creating the heavens and the earth, and he's creating everything that's in the earth. And we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, something very interesting that goes along with this. It says, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plant, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. We have a phrase there that says, according to its kind. In other words, God is saying, I want things to be fruitful and multiply. I don't want fruit trees to multiply into more fruit trees according to their kind. And he goes on in, in various verses following this throughout chapter 1, and he says this phrase over and over again. He says to the sea creatures, I want them to, to multiply according to their kind. He talks about the winged birds in another verse, and he says according to their kind. He talks about living creatures in another verse, and he says according to their kind. He talks about livestock in another verse, and he says according to their kind. He talks about creeping things in another verse, and he says according to their kind. He talks about beasts of the earth, and he says according to its kind. Now, that word kind there, as I was studying in the Hebrew, literally means species. So it makes sense that if you have a cow and it's going to have a baby, what plops out? A baby cow. You know, that's what plops out. You're not going to get something else. You're not going to get an apple tree, right? It's just that makes sense because a cow is going to produce a species of a cow. That's what it does. That's what according to its kind means. Now, 
As I got to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, something changed. And here God is getting ready to create man. And, he said, and it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the other stuff. After our likeness. Now at first, likeness and kind sound very similar. After our kind, after our likeness. Make man in our image after our likeness. But there are totally different words in the Hebrew. So kind means species, and I, I'm, I'm setting this up, but I've got to lay a foundation for you today. Kind means species, but here's what those words mean. Image means this. It means replica, statue, or painting. So God says, I want to make men not according to their kind, like species, but he says, I want to make them after my image, as if I was painting a picture of myself, as if I was making a model of myself. And, and he says, not that, not that we're a species of God, but we're made in the image of God, okay? So likeness means model, pattern, or shape. In other words, man is in a totally different category than all of the other parts of creation. Now, we know this, but even in the way that God has made us, not after a species, but according to a likeness after God, we're made in the image of God. But something happened in chapter 3, and man fell. And we lost something of the image of God about us. There was something that was lost. So that when we get saved and we come to Jesus, we are being restored into that image again. That image of Christ is coming back. The image of God starts to come back. But how many of you guys know that whenever you get saved or you come to Jesus, you don't just automatically look like Christ? How many of you guys, when you got saved, all of a sudden you just were the spitting image of Christ? Everything you did, it was just like Christ. I know, I'm raising my hand, that's not what happened to me. Just ask my wife, okay? She'll tell you stories that prove that I just didn't plop out looking like Christ. Why is that? Because we're not according to kind, like species, where if, if God just all of a sudden I came alive in Christ, then all of a sudden, boom, I just look just like Christ. We are made after the image of God, and we're being transformed, the Bible says, into the image of God day by day. Once you catch this, you're being transformed into the image of God day by day. It's, it's more like a caterpillar. If we were going to check any box of an animal or anything, the best thing we'd have is this caterpillar. So we've got a caterpillar. It's pretty fat, ugly, and hairy. Some of you guys say, I'm married to that. This, this let that one... Uh, don't take that too far, but um, it looks gross, okay? It looks ugly, right? And, and so all of a sudden, this thing, this fat thing, this fat, hairy thing, uh, all of a sudden, if you go through the life cycle of a caterpillar, what? It goes into a cocoon. We know this. It breaks out of a cocoon, and it turns into this beautiful butterfly, right? This is much more pleasing to look at than the ugly caterpillar. And, and so it looks like a totally different animal. It looks like a totally different creation. It looks, like a, it looks brand new, okay? And, and so what happened in that process? It, it went from, from fat and hairy to all of a sudden this beautiful new creature. Now, if I put the, picture, put the picture back up of the caterpillar, if I took some DNA samples of this caterpillar and I took, extracted something from it and I took it into like a biologist or something, I said, tell me what this is. Do you know what a biologist might say as they're running tests and they're running samples on that? They might look at you and say, this is a butterfly. 
Because the DNA is the same. It's the same in every, uh, I believe there's four stages of the process. Every single process, every single stage, the DNA is the same. I don't care if it's at the finished point as it is at the very beginning. The DNA is the same. Uh, biologists would look at that and say, that is a butterfly on paper. Here's what I want you to get. When you get saved, you may look like this spiritually, but here's what I want you to know. You have the DNA of godliness in you already. You already have that. One day you'll be transformed into the butterfly spiritually, but you already have the DNA of godliness already in you. It's the same. If somebody was to take a sample of it, they would say, well, I'd say this person is, a, this is like a butterfly. Some of you guys are going to have to sit on that one for a little bit and let that one soak in just a little bit. I want you to know that you have the DNA of godliness on the inside of you, the exact same thing. We are being transformed day by day outwardly. But here's what I want you to see. Inwardly, you've come alive. It's only the external that begins to change. And you are being transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Okay, there's a difference. And here's the question. Are you being conformed to the ways of the world or are you being transformed into the image of God? That's the big question. Are we being conformed or are we being transformed? Because that's really where it all rests on us. Now, transformed is where we get that word, our English word, metamorphosis. That's where we get that. That's where it comes from. If you look at the word transformed used there, it's where we get that, that word, metamorphosis. What is a metamorphosis? It is a process. And here's what I want you to understand today. Transformation, being transformed into the image of Christ, is not an instantaneous thing. You don't get saved and immediately you're this butterfly spiritually. You are transformed. It's a process day by day. And that ought to encourage somebody here today. Because you're sitting there saying, why didn't God just take a magic wand and poof me into what I need to be? I want to be a better parent. Why didn't he do this? I wanted to be, have this straight in my life, and why didn't he do these things? Because it is a process. You are being transformed. Inwardly, you have the DNA of godliness. Externally, it's starting to form and to be transformed day by day. And that ought to encourage somebody today. That God is in a process with you, and it's part of the way he designed it to happen. But here's the problem, and here's why we, we don't, here's why we have fake fruit. Because we want to go from butterfly, or from caterpillar to butterfly in one day. And so what we do is we try to take a shortcut. Even though we have the DNA of godliness in us, we want to make the external look automatically different. And that's where we have to fake it to get there. It's as ridiculous, and here's the picture I saw this week. I'm weird, but here's the picture I saw. It's as ridiculous as a caterpillar putting on a butterfly costume. He's still fat and ugly underneath and hairy. He can't fly, but he's trying to look like a butterfly. That's what we look like spiritually when, we don't, when we're conformed but not transformed day by day. And, and so we got to understand it is a process. Are you being conformed to the world or transformed into the image of God? It's either one or the other. You're either being conformed to the world in your marriage or you're being transformed into the image of God. It's either, you're either letting the world tell you how to raise your kids or you're letting your, your life be transformed and your kids be transformed into the image of God. It's one or the other. You can't do both at the same time. And, and so I have a, a question for you. If you look back at your life six months ago and you look at your life today and you say, 
I look more like the world today than I did six months ago. Why is that? You know, you have that, that word conformed. You know, the first part of that word, it's, it spells con. It's conformed. In other words, how many of you guys have ever been conned before? How many of you guys hate? I mean, I hate being taken advantage of, right? I hate it if I'm manipulated in some way. I get ticked off if, I, if that happens, if I get conned in some way. Here's what happens when we're conformed to the world. We're being cheated out of the life that God had for us to live. And if you look back at your life six months ago, and you look at your life today, and you admit, I look more like the ways of the world today than I did six months ago, somewhere along the way, you've been conned. You've been cheated out of the life that God intended for you to live. You've been conformed to the world instead of transformed more into the image of God. And that ought to make you a little upset. And it's okay if you've been conned to be a little upset about that. And say, you know what, I'm not going to have that happen to me again. Because I'm not going to be cheated out of the life that God wants me to live. I'm not going to do that. You've got the root of godly DNA in you. But here's the thing. It all depends on what you're going to do with that DNA. Are you going to shortcut to become the butterfly? Or are you going to let that be transformed in you? This leads me to my second point. And you, if you don't get this, you don't have the message, okay? Here's an important point that we've got to understand about real fruit. Real fruit is about spiritual health over spiritual progress. This goes against our, this goes against the way I think. I'm like one of those, let's, let's just go, let's get the job done, let's just keep going further and faster, further, faster, let's keep, you know, I want my life to continually progress. And so I have a tendency to focus on spiritual progress in my life. But real fruit doesn't come when we focus on spiritual progress. Real fruit comes when we focus on spiritual health. And, and so fruit isn't always measured by the externals, but it's measured by the internals. I think sometimes we look at other people's life and we judge their fruit. We say, oh, that person must not have a good root because the fruit is not good. Here's the trick. Bad fruit can sometimes look good. Think back to Judas. He looked like he had good fruit. You can't look at the externals to see if the fruit is good or not. I know it sounds counterintuitive. You have to look at the root to see if the fruit is good. And that's something we don't always have eyes to see, but at least we have eyes to see it in our own life. If we were looking at our life and the way you project your life to everyone else, the fruit may look good, but you know good and well it's not good. You're just making it look good on the outside. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, guys, you guys, you make the outside of the bowl look really clean and shiny. But the inside looks horrible and filthy. It reminds me of my, when my kids do dishes. <laughs> you guys have that happen before. It's like, this outside's really clean, but why is there macaroni stuck to the inside of this thing? I'm not going to eat cereal out of that. You know, that's, that's gross. It's not usable. And Jesus said, that's what too many of y'all are doing. You guys are cleaning the outside of you, and the outside looks really good, but the inside's filthy. What good is that? We can't even use that. And so we, many times we're focusing on progress instead of internal health. We're focusing on doing more and, and being more outside, but not on spiritual health. Now, listen, I, I've done lots of weddings over the, year as a, over the years as a pastor, many, many weddings. And in the early days and several times, people would come up to me and have reasons as to why they didn't need to go through what we call premarital counseling. This counseling before you get married to prepare you for the, you, you realize that most people are more concerned with their wedding day than they are their marriage? Come on, that's another sermon altogether. But I, there's been times that I would make an exception. They, they would say, oh, we don't need that. We've already done this, or we're, we just want to get married. 
And I'd make an exception, and I would just do their wedding. Well, there's this one couple, they had everything put together on the outside. I mean, this, I mean, everything was just good. I mean, they had everything. They had the, the you know, the, the 2.5, you know, kids dream. They had the white picket fence dream. They had everything put together. Everything looked right on the outside. Everything. And so they said, oh, yeah, we, we're, we're good. And I was like, okay. Years later, they just crashed and burned it, found out that the whole thing was just, I mean, a great shell, but nothing behind it. And, and so as I look over the years, listen to how powerful what I'm about ready to say. This is just my experience. But every person, every couple that I let have a pass on not doing premarital counseling got divorced, every one of them. And so far, everyone that I've required premarital counseling, they've stayed together. Now, that's powerful. That's a powerful statement right there. Okay? What's the deal with that? Why is that important? It's because some people are more concerned with the progress and just getting the job done instead of becoming healthy before. Right? Some people are more concerned with the wedding day than they are the marriage and I'm saying that some of us are like that with all of our life. We're more concerned with the event and the external than we are with the health internally. And real fruit only comes when we focus on spiritual health instead of spiritual progress. Here's the truth of the matter. Most people, if you meet most people, their goals that they have in life are all external goals. Well, I want to be at this weight. Uh, I want to have this much in my career. I want to be this far. I want to do this. All these things are external goals. You can see it at New Year's resolution time, right? You see, all these things are external goals. Very few people make internal goals. Because we're so concerned with the externals and the progress that appears to everyone else, even to ourselves, than we are our internal spiritual health. But when your internal culture changes, your external culture will begin to change. Come on, somebody. When your internal culture changes, your external culture will begin to change. What if we focus more on spiritual health than we did spiritual progress? I was reading a book this week, and it was, it was directed towards pastors. And this one guy was talking about how, uh, man, in our American church, we are so concerned in American church culture with progress with production. How, how productive can we be? You know, man, we need to get this many people in church this week. We got this many things. We got to get this many buildings. Built. We got to get all these things. We're so concerned with progress, progress, progress. And, and he said, what if our churches were more concerned, were less concerned with the pastor's progress and more concerned with the pastor's spiritual health? What kind of churches would we begin to produce? And I contend that they would be better churches, that they would be healthier churches, but they'd actually be more productive churches as well. But the question isn't just for pastors. The question is for every single person here today. What if you, instead of focusing on your spiritual production, you focus more on your spiritual health? What would your life look like? And I contend it would be much healthier and much more productive if we did that. We focus too many times on the externals instead of the internals. Listen, we get saved, and just like I preached here just a minute ago, that we get saved by faith, and it's not what we have done, it's what he has done, and then when we get saved, we make it all about works instead of faith. Something's off about that, isn't it? The works will come, but it's, it's by faith, which leads me to my next, next point. If, and I'll just wrap up with this, okay? If you came, if you're like, like in a spiritual forest, <laughs> you're walking there, all of a sudden you come to a fork in the road and you see you know, a sign pointing one way that says 
pleasing God and you see a sign pointing the other way saying trusting God and you could only choose one way for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? I mean, how do you guys know that pleasing God is a good thing, right? We want to please God. God, we should desire to please God in that sense, right? We, we've got the other way is trusting God. How many of you guys know we should desire to trust God? We should have that as part of life. But if you could only choose one way, which way would you choose for the rest of your life? To please God or to trust God? Well, I hope you would take the road of trust over pleasing. And here's why. Pleasing is all about the externals. Trusting is all about the internals. Pleasing is all about the fruit. Trusting is all about the root. Pleasing God, a desire to please God, quickly turns into, how do I keep God pleased with me? In fact, I'll say it this way. You can't try, if you had a chicken and egg versus, you know, versus the scenario where, like, which came first, a chicken or the egg, which came first, pleasing God or trusting God, I'm telling you, trusting comes before pleasing. Let me prove it to you in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You know the scripture, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. You cannot please God without faith. Let me say it even more clear. Real fruit is not about trying to please God. It's about trusting to please God. That's worth saying again, because somebody could, their life could change just by that one statement. Real fruit is not about trying to please God. It's about trusting to please God. Because when you trust God, that's what leads to pleasing God. In other words, you cannot please God. Listen to what I'm saying. You cannot please God if you don't first trust God. You can't do it. It's impossible. The, how do I know that? The Bible just said it was impossible to do. You cannot please God without first trusting God. Trust begets pleasing God. Okay, And, and so we've got to get that right. The harder thing to do is not trying, it's trusting. And so let me leave you with this one question. Can you trust what God says about you? Because one of the hardest things for us to do when it comes to walking or trusting God is believing what God actually says. We, we, we say we believe, but when it comes down to, can, we, can God's words be trusted? Can we put our trust in them? Let me give you one test. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you trust those words for you? That there's absolutely no condemnation never any condemnation to you. Can you believe that about your life right now? What you've done? What your life looks like? There is no condemnation towards you if you're in Christ Jesus. Can you trust that? Can it be trusted? Because you won't ever please God until you can start to trust what God has said about you. Let me read this statement that I heard this week. Imagine God saying this to you. And then, then also ask yourself, can I trust those words to be true? Can I really trust those? Here, here it is. If God's saying this to you, what if you knew that the basis of my friendship with you is not based on how little you sin, but on how much you let me love you? What if you knew that the basis of my relationship with you is not based on how little you sin, it's based on how much you let me love you? Can those words be trusted? Can that concept be trusted? Can you actually accept that? 
Because I believe that's what the Bible supports when it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If we learn to trust God, it will lead, if we get healthy spiritually on the inside of us, it will lead to spiritual progress. Would you guys stand up as we, as we close up? I'm going to say something very important as we close up, so don't check out just yet. And here it is. I think some of us are thinking, why the process? Why doesn't God just make us from caterpillar into butterfly? Why the transformed process? Well, if we t- go back to the caterpillar example, you know, if you have a caterpillar that's gone into a cocoon, and all of a sudden it starts to turn into a butterfly and it's starting to break out of its cocoon. It starts to break out, and you see it struggling. It looks tough, you know? It's like, man, this thing is really struggling. And you, in your mercy and compassion, go over and try to help the butterfly break out of its cocoon. You know what you've done? You've killed it. Because it's actually the process of it emerging from that cocoon that is strengthening its wings to push it open. It's it's becoming stronger in the struggle, in the transformation. And when it finally breaks free, its wings are strong enough to be able to fly. But if you were to open it up, it wouldn't be able to fly. And so some of us are like, why doesn't God in his mercy and in his compassion come and just, boom, just transform it? Why doesn't he do that? And I think it's because many times there's power in the process. And that ought to encourage somebody today because you may not be where you want to be. You may be at an ugly stage. You may be at a fat and hairy stage spiritually. But you have godly DNA on the inside of you. And you're being transformed day by day. It may not look, and you ought to be okay with, you know what, this is where I'm at today, but I'm being transformed day by day. And one day, I'm going to be able to fly, and I'm going to be able to see things I could never see before. You'll never, your, your spiritual progress is only as far as your spiritual health will take you. And if we can get healthy on the inside, I believe spiritual progress is going to come. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. I want to just take just a moment as we worship one more time. And maybe you need to have a repentance this morning. Maybe you need to change the way you think about God today. Maybe you need to change the way you think about fruit and about the root today. And you need to repent or have a change of thinking today. And I want you to just take just a moment during this song as we're worshiping and let those thoughts and let the Holy Spirit just wash over you and begin to let that happen in your life. Amen? Let's worship one more time. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased in that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are
what happened this past week what happened in our life that you are good we declare that Lord I pray that as people walk out of this place instead of being so wrapped up in the external Lord I pray that as just a result of this time today that there'd be more spiritual health on the inside we'd be healthier on the inside spiritually and that that would produce fruit in our life and we just declare that we speak that over our lives we speak that over our church speak that over our marriages and over our families and over our businesses Lord, I pray right now that we would have a deeper revelation of who you are and your love for us as we walk out of here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming. Have a great weekend. We'll see you later. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.